God's invitation to come to the fire and be transformed by His grace through this message by Beth Coppage. I'd like you to turn in your scriptures, please, if you would, to Deuteronomy 33. And we will begin at verse 24. It's Deuteronomy 33, 24. This is the last words. It's the blessing of Moses on the 12 tribes, and it's his last words before he went into the presence of God, this man who lived and knew God face to face. And of Asher he said, Asher is the most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze, as your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides in the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from you before you and he will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help and the sword of your majesty, your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tell down the high places." If you turn over to chapter 1 of Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses, assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land I, which I am giving you, the children of Israel, every Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I will give to you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and of good courage, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the left. Don't turn from it from the right, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will be prosperous, then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Jesus, we come and invite you right now to open your word to our hearts. It is the meat and potatoes of our soul. And Father, we need to go home and we need to put our focus on going home. And we pray in these next few minutes you would equip our souls with soul strength so that as we go back to the battlefronts in which we live, there will be strength to endure and not only to endure but be faithful and strength for God to pour his reproductive life into 
our lives so that eternity will be different because we have left this place. And Father, I'm asking that you would come and anoint the word today so that we are never, ever the same. Do a work today in our hearts and in our lives that all eternity is different, that our nations are different, that our homes are different, that we're different, and that the ends of the world feel the effects of a little group of women meeting in Kansas City on October 10th in 2008. And we ask it all in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would feel in my heart today a very deep sense of calling and urgency from the spirit of jesus i believe god is looking today for world changers and i believe he would like to begin in this group right here i remember when my uh, we have my husband is a wesley scholar and so our youngest daughter is called susanna when she was in first grade i got a distressed phone call from her teacher in wilmore and she said oh beth she said, we had class today, and I asked the class, who was the president, first president of the United States? And so Susanna just waved her hand so hard that I said, Susanna, who was it? And she said, John Wesley. <laughs> and the teacher said, I was horrified. And so then I was horrified. So I went and I said, ow. Susanna doesn't even know who the first president of the United States is. He said, well, who did she say? I said, she said, John Wesley. And Al goes, that's my girl. (laughs) (laughs) So today, we had Beth sing about John Wesley. Because not because there's anything in John Wesley, but he was a world changer. He got full of the Holy Spirit, squeaky clean heart. He was a product of a praying mother and a praying daddy. And God used him to turn his world, his culture even, upside down. No, right side up for God. (laughs) And then out of the overflow of John and his brother Charles, who was the musician who wrote songs like, Kim and Beth and others up here, he was a songwriter and, and John was a preacher. They went all over England and then they sent a man named Francis Asbury to the New World. And he never went home because he made America's home and it was a hard place to live. And he rode on a horse from Maine to Georgia, crossed over the Cumberland Gap, and landed in our little town and started Bethel Academy for, for circuit-riding children to be trained for the preachers in central Kentucky that rode around sharing Jesus. We wouldn't be sitting here today if there hadn't been a praying mama, a praying daddy, who told John not to live like the rest of the world and prayed until the glory came. <laughs> And then when the glory came, two sons just went out to share Jesus. And here we are the birth children, the generational overflow, the promise to those who are far off. They could never bring dream this big. Neither can you and I. Does God want to make you into a world changer? Yes. Do you know how tall John Wesley was? Five feet four. It wasn't in physical stature. It was in the glory in his soul. 
Do you know when Susanna was 13, a little girl came to her and said, Susanna, would you start a Jesus club for us? She was five. Susanna said, oh, okay. So she began to meet once a week in our home with five little girls. And they formed the Love Company. And in the Love Company, and Susanna, we, uh, Al took Wesley's model of class meetings. So every week we had kids in discipleship groups, students in our home two or three times a week where you meet in a small group for prayer and Bible study and then accountability, like the early Methodist model that Wesley did. So Susanna had seen this all her life. So she met with these five little girls. They were all about five or six, so she had accountability. She would stay at a little chart and she'd say, do, do you have your devotions? Some of them couldn't read. So she said, oh, that's no problem. Look through the pictures, or if your mama reads to you, that will count. So then here's your scripture memory. Gave them scripture memory. Every week they had to tell her their verses. If they talked about Jesus and shared Jesus with anybody, they would get a happy face. If they brought somebody to Love Company, they would get a happy face. I mean, there was a whole, if they obeyed their mom, they got a happy face. So she met with her five little girls. Well, do you know that love company grew till we outgrew our house? We had over 35 little girls that were coming to love company. And they'd come with, you brought your Bible, you get a happy face. So they'd come. Well, she had too many. She couldn't do accountability with 35 little girls. So I didn't help her. It was totally, she didn't want any help. It was her thing. So she's, I, next thing I knew, uh, that they had a love company on Monday, on Tuesdays, we had another little group of girls that was coming to our house. These were the nine and 10-year-olds that were going to make, break up into small groups to meet with the younger children so they could hear their accountability before they had Bible study. And do you know what? She called them the world changers. And they were nine and 10. So the world changers came on Tuesday to get ready for next Monday's love company. Well, at the end of the first semester, they were having a closing party. And so she said, Mom, I think we will need you. Can you do the refreshments? <laughs> so I found myself invited for the very first time. And I got to the thing, and there they were, 35 little girls. She had them all divided up. And then she began to say, I need a world changer because Lily has gotten her cupcake all over her. Can someone take, a world changer needs to take Lily to the bathroom. And I need a world changer because Mary has her verses. And I need a world changer. And every time she said, I need a world changer, there were like five or six little girls that go, here I am, here I am, utterly available and excited to help Susanna run Love Company. And as I sat there that day behind the table watching, I said, oh, how happy the heart of God would be if all of a sudden Jesus would turn to the Father and he'd say, wow, 
We need a world changer in Wyoming. Do we have any world changers there? And Jesus would say, yes, I know just your women. And all of a sudden, Jesus would begin to lay it on a hearts in Wyoming, in Kansas, in Ohio, in New Jersey, in New York, in Pennsylvania. And there would be those of us who'd say, here I am, Jesus. I'm at your disposal. Here I am. Now, how do you and I become world changers? You and I have to begin to live in his presence. Once we get squeaky clean, then filled with his presence, then he wants to come and restore his glory. That's living in his presence. That's what we talked about yesterday. Where we want to open our day, where we meet him every morning. We want to be in the word. You cannot survive like Joshua said, unless you meditate on the word. You put it on your windows. You put it on your kitchen sink. You live in the word. You want to become a woman of prayer. So you have a separate time. You meet God. There would be no John Wesley if there'd been no Susanna and there had been no Sam, and there hadn't been a Samuel. It takes the generations to begin to see and to understand what it means to be a man or woman full of God. God wants a world changer that will spend time with him. Not only is it enough to spend time alone, you and I need to begin to meet together in prayer. We need prayer partners, like Nancy was talking about today. And with this beautiful age, we are able to do it on the phone or email, or we can do it face-to-face. -face. God wants us to be intercessors. I prayed for 12 years with a Taiwanese friend, and we, I would iron, and we prayed by the, on the phone. She had one child. I had four. I was always behind in my ironing. So we didn't do it in person. I would iron and we pray every Tuesday for an hour on the phone. Sometimes Al would say to me, Beth, can't you call Esther? I need some shirts. <laughs> so, no, he really liked Esther. <laughs> so what? And not only that, you need a small group. You know, begin to think about, and God began to call some of us for come to the fire. We said, we can't do it without prayer. We'll be shot out of the water. So that's when we began to think, well, he met those little Lydia women. And the, word be and the revival began to come through Europe because there was one little woman who was available and at the disposal of God, and her name was Lydia. And she'd gathered some other women around her. And that's why the Lydia prayer groups were formed. At first, to pray for the come to the fire. But now they've taken a life of their own. I think it's in God's heart. What God wants to do is get us together as women and meet him at the river and say, Jesus, would you come and would you make me a world changer in my home and in my family and in my community and my church and in my state? And that we could begin to get connected with one another. There's Lydia groups here and Lydia groups there. And when I spoke to some missionaries with OMS from all over the world in June, do you know what? I had lunch and one on the right was from Heidi. The other on the left was from China. And they said, the little Angie from Haiti said, I, wanna, I have a Lydia prayer group I want to start in Haiti. And she said, could I partner with a group in America so my five Haitian women would be praying for these five Americans and those five Americans would be praying for us. God could begin to use in that kind of prayer to touch a whole world for him. I don't know what God's up to, but I believe God wants to use you if you'll let him. Now, how are we going to let him? 
because we're not equipped in and of ourselves. And do you know what? I have good news for you because he wants to fill us with his glory, but then he wants to give us glory shoes. <laughs> and these glory shoes are very special. They are heavy. This is what we're reading about today. And it is the blessing of Asher. And your sandals, some of your translation says gates or bolts. I checked with my Hebrew scholars in the family. They said it's ancient Hebrew. And the word can be used for bolts or can be used for sandals. But they said in light of the next chapter, they think it's probably sandals because Joshua... Moses and Joshua and God are talking about every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, you can take for God. I want to talk to you today about your glory shoes. This is a Colombian stirrup. It is solid brass. We brought it back from Medellin when we came home. Can you, I may put it that way. I want to say that we were, one day I was on the phone with Billy Boy, my son who's in Uganda, and we were finishing a conversation, and he said, Mama, could you pray for me? I said, well, yes, honey, what do you have on your mind? He said, Mama, sometimes in the course of the day, I get tired and grumpy, and he said, our gate, we have people at our gate all the time. And I sometimes just get tired of so many needs and so many people. And I don't always know how to meet them. And I, I'm sweet outside, but I get agitated inside. And then sometimes I'm just grumpy outside too. He said, I just, will you pray for me? And I said, oh, I'll pray for you, Billy. But then I found myself saying something I hadn't even thought before. I said, honey, when that happens, just go into your closet and put on your glory shoes. <laughs> and he said, mom, I don't have a closet. Well, I said, honey, just go any place alone with God. And he said, what are my glory shoes, mama? I said, your glory shoes that Jesus has promised, they will be iron or brass, and according to the day, so shall your strength be. <laughs> and he said, Mama, I'll try that. Well, the minute I got off the phone, I ran to Deuteronomy 33 because I wasn't even in Deuteronomy. I hadn't even been thinking about glory shoes. And then I began to read this beautiful blessing. And I have the, most, the sweetest word for us today. This is the last promise given to Asher. He is the fourth illegitimate son of Jacob. <laughs> Twelve sons. This is Leah's second son. She was Jacob's concubine. This was um, uh, Zilpah's second son, Leah's maidservant. And, and, so, and, then, and so he was the fourth illegitimate son of Jacob. And how does God start it out? Asher is the most blessed of sons. That's because in God's word and in God's sight, 
It doesn't matter any. You are so valuable to God that the one he honors most, the last word before Moses goes to Jesus is to the fourth illegitimate son of Jacob. <laughs> Want to know how much God loves us? This much. Doesn't matter your background or your family dysfunction. If you choose to follow Jesus 150%, you are the most blessed. And do you know his little mother, Zilpah, even though the circumstances in her life were so difficult in the dysfunctional home and in that power struggle for the love and attention of Jacob, she named her son Blessed or Happy. <laughs> so Asher, God said, is the most blessed of sons he is the favored one by his brothers. And you know that's only from God's perspective. He probably endured great distress at home, but God said, no, in my eyes, you're the most favored one. And then he says, let him dip his foot in oil. Because do you know, as you and I go home, and we begin to put on our glory shoes to go forward. We need to dip our feet in oil before we put on these big old heavy brass sandals because they're just hard to wear. And what is the oil? The oil is the sweetness of the Holy Spirit filling us with his grace as we meet the living presence of Jesus through his word on a daily basis. And then it gives us strength when we've met with God to put on those brass slippers. And as we put on those brass sandals to get ready to go out, he will give us strength. And some of you, your brass sandals are not easy. They are as heavy as brass. But God wants to turn your heavy brass sandals into glory shoes. You may be battling cancer, and it's heavy. You may be going home to care for a sick loved one, a sick child. You may be going home to an empty house because you have been abandoned by your husband. You may be going home to loss of work. You may be battling physical ailments and sickness. And God says, I dip your feet in oil, put those glory shoes on, and as thou goest step by step, I will open the way, and according to your days, so shall your strength be. But he says, you don't go alone, because in the next verse, it's so sweet. He says, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun. And what is he saying there? This is the nickname that God has given to Israel. It's the personal name. It's the name that we talked about yesterday, Revelation 2.17. Known only to you and to Jesus, your personal name. He says, then, no, there's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides through the clouds to help you in his excellency like the clouds. It's like Psalm 18 
where the psalmist cries out and then there's like he opens up heaven he parts the way and he comes down if you and I cry out to him he is there underneath are the everlasting arms and he says your eternal God is your refuge whatever you are facing when you are going home you are not going home alone you can dip your feet in the oil and then put those glory shoes on and you can walk through in victory to possess the land that God has given to you. Not only to you, but for the generations yet to come. And the beautiful thing is Jesus is so tender. He will call you by that new name that you received yesterday and you will never be the same and you will begin to hear and understand and comprehend things as he calls you by your most intimate, personal name. It's the sweetest thing in the whole world. Do you know in our family, my mother had 16 grandchildren. Katie Beth was the oldest one. And when she was two, mother read her a mother goose book with little half glasses. From that day on, my mother wore half glasses and little mother goose on the book wore half glasses. Katie Beth put the two together in her mind and mother, my mom was no longer Grammy. She became Grammy Goose. <laughs> and so then when, when after so many grandchildren, she lost the Grammy and she was just called Goose. <laughs> and then when Billy came along, he just had to put IE on everybody's name, so he called her Goosey. <laughs> so for 20 years of her life, my mother was called Goosey. She said in all her life she had never anticipated that name. <laughs> but, but you can, but it was, that's what we all called her. It was her love name that had been given by her grandchildren to her. And it sloshed all over to the rest of the family. <laughs> when she went to heaven and on her grave, there's a little thing from Goof that the children all did to Goosey. Do you know what? His name is even more significant, much more significant than Goosey. Because he comes to you and as you go home and you say, I'm not sure I can put my glory shoes on, Jesus. They sure do seem heavy. And then he calls you by that name and he goes, oh, don't worry. He said, I will come and I will carry you. Like we carry our babies, God will carry you. Psalm 81 says, he will remove the burdens from our shoulders and remove our hands from the baskets. And if we open our mouth wide, he will fill it. And you know, sometimes I've had a basket by my prayer chair and I put my burdens in it. And sometimes I've said, Lord, I just give you all my burdens, but I'm crawling in the basket too. Would you just carry me? <laughs> and he always does. Then he not only gives us physical help and emotional help, and he's a refuge for us, but he gives power over the enemy. That that we sang about this morning, there is power in the blood of the lamb. And so he will thrust out the enemy from before you and he will say destroy so that as you go forward, there is power in your life by the presence of the Holy Spirit to break the power of the enemy. 
I have put in front of my family room door as we come in and as we go out the Great Commission so that as we leave my house and we come in, we remember all power is given in the name of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. And God is wanting us to remember that he is defeated. And just like we sang about, there's power in the blood of the Lamb. And as you go forward for whatever difficulties are coming into your life, you can cry out in the name of Jesus and say, I resist the evil one in the name of Jesus. I receive everything from the Lamb, but I resist everything from the evil one. And the power of Jesus can come and transform you, and he can give you wisdom and knowledge and joy to know how you are to proceed. And he can come against all lies so you can walk in truth. I've begun to pray every day, um, Romans 12, 1 through 3, that my mind and our minds as a family might be transformed, that we would know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and that we would think soberly about ourselves, and that not more highly than we ought to, but soberly, so that according to the measure of faith God has given us. There's all power in the name of Jesus. We do not have to be crippled by the enemy for the full purposes of God for your life and mine. And then he says, there's safety in me and provision. I can provide for your daily bread. I can provide so you have grain and new wine. And the heavens will drop dew. And I love this because Jesus is our dew. On a daily basis, Jesus comes as the dew comes in the morning. So you and I do not have to be wilted, weary, worn, weepy. But you and I can be refreshed, renewed, revived, regenerated, and rejoicing. Jesus is our daily due. He is our minute-by-minute due. So as we go forward in our glorious shoes, he is our due. And he says, happy are you as a people, O Israel, who is like you, because you have been saved by the Lord. You are no longer alone. You are all his, and he is all yours. He is your shield. He is your help. He is your sword against the evil one by the power of the word. And enemies will submit to you and listen to this. You will tread down the high places by the power of Jesus. The strongholds in your life, the generational sin, the addictions, the bondages. You don't have to be a creature creature at 5 o'clock. He can transform your whole spirit. So out of you comes the sweetness, love, laughter, joy of Jesus. God wants a transformed people filled with his glory, with glory shoes on, to go out into the worlds in which he's called us. And as we go out to say, this family I claim for him. This church I claim for him. (laughs) This community I claim for him. This state I claim for him. And then as this country we claim, take it back, Jesus. The enemy's had it long enough. The powers of darkness. We are claiming it for Jesus. So God wants to come because he wants to make us carriers of the presence of Jesus into a lost world. It doesn't just have to happen 200 years ago, 300 years ago. He wants to do it now. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of a Wesley or an Asbury, that's our God, the one who calls us by your intimate name. Now in May, we were invited 
to supper uh, with one of the men in Al's discipleship group. <laughs> he's a missionary doctor in Tenwick, and he's home on furlough. And they have been meeting together. It's one of those times when I love kitchen tables where God comes. And you can get a little bit of feel for this family in the fact she had a lovely tablecloth on. Then she had a map of the world on top of the tablecloth. And then she had a plastic covering like we get from Walmart that she could wipe off. So as the four of us sat around the table, there we were with the world. I loved it. And then the conversation was God-centered. And the doctor looked at Al and goes, Al, do you know what? He said, last term when we were in Kenya, and I, he was at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya with World Gospel Mission, a surgeon. He said, I began to get very hungry in my soul to see something that could all had no other explanation but God. And I began to seek God. And he said, I said, God, I'm hungry to see something that only you can do. And I'm hungry, God, to see something that you provide for. And I only look to you for provision, no one else. And he said, Lord, I'm hungry to find out what's on your heart and the burdens and concerns on your heart, not just always bringing the burdens and concerns on my, from my heart to yours. And then he said, Lord, I'm so hungry. I'm even hungry. I want you, if you want to, I'd like you to even begin to use me for the concerns that are on your heart. And he said, I began to pray and seek God with this deep hunger in my soul that there'd be no other explanation for my life but God. And he began to meet with God. And then one day God said to him, well, do you want to know what's on my heart? Because if you and I will ask him, he will talk if we will listen. And Phil found himself saying, yes, Lord, what's on your heart? And he said, the local prison. And Phil said, the prison? He said, Lord, we already have work in the prison. And he said, we have Sunday classes, Sunday preaching there and Bible studies there. We have work in the prison. God said, I know you do. But he said, Everybody goes to the prison and preaches at the prisoners, but no one knows anything about the prisoners, and no one listens to the prisoners. No one really cares about them as people. They just preach at them. They don't relate to them. And he said, I have the prison on my heart. Well, then Phil said, Lord, do you want me to be a part? of this concern? Do I have a part to play in this? And God said, yes, if you will, if you would be available. He said, well, yes, Lord, I will. But he said, did you forget I'm a doctor? Lord said, no, didn't forget. He said, 
well, what do you want me to do? He said, what about playing, calling the warden, see if you can play volleyball with him on Saturday afternoons and take some of your hospital staff? And Phil said, well, God, that doesn't even seem very religious. <laughs> Are you sure? So he was so startled, he just kept praying, but it didn't go away. Called the warden. The warden wasn't too enthusiastic. And he said, well, Lord, I can't. This, he wasn't enthusiastic. What about the staff? But he went to the staff, and some of them said, we'll go with you. So they went the next couple Saturdays. They went to the prison, played volleyball with the prisoners, and they related and talked. You know what they found out the very first week? That there were 141 prisoners, but only 25 mattresses. And they said, well, who sleeps on the mattresses and who sleeps on the ground? Well, whoever can, every night there's a fight. And the strongest man wins. And so the whole staff came back and they had a burden for those 116 that slept on the ground. So they came back and began to pray. Well, then some of the missionaries said, well, let's write a letter to the states and get a project and begin to raise money for prison mattresses. And Phil said, no. Let's ask God what he has in mind since this is his baby and say, God, are you concerned about mattresses in prison? And he said, yes. Well, God, how do you want to provide for them? He said, take it to the church. So they went to the church, said, we have a need in the prison. And it caused a stir in the church. Some of the African leadership said they don't deserve mattresses. They're, they've done wrong things. They had to go back and forth on that. And then they said, we better ask God. This isn't about us. This is about what's on God's heart. They began to pray. And as they prayed, they said, well, we don't understand it, but we think God cares about prisoners who don't have mattresses. So then the church decided that they were going to, well, the mattresses cost $3 at the market, like a foam pad, that they would start, and anybody who wanted to bring a mattress could come to church and bring a mattress for the Beaumont prison. So they began to come to church, and you'd see them carrying them on their head or under their arm, and the stack began to grow. God was bringing in his mattresses. Pretty soon it was getting near Christmas, and they thought, do you think we could get it 116 by Christmas? Sure enough, they did. Well, then the church got so excited, and then they said, oh. And they said, well, let's call, get a truck and take them all down there. And then one of the teenagers said, you know what? If we take 116 new mattresses, they'll never get to the prisoners. They'll be stolen by the wardens. What are we going to do? So they said, we better ask God what he wants to do to protect his mattresses. So then another teenager said, hey, let's stencil in red paint. Jesus loves you. Property of Beaumont Prison. <laughs> 
So all the church came together, especially the teenagers, and stenciled on every mattress. Then they called the warden, and they said to the warden, they said, we've got a gift for the prisoners. He said, well, why? He said, well, we don't know why, but God wants to send mattresses to your prison, and he stirred up our hearts in the church to do it. We said, you've never done that before. We said, we know. We don't understand it either. It's a God thing. It's on God's heart. And said, the warden was so touched. He said, well, I better do something for my prisoners. I'll provide a Coke for each prisoner for Christmas. When you bring the mattresses, we'll give them each a Coke and a mattress. The whole church turned out, and Christmas Day they came, and the prisoner said, why are you doing this? It's because Jesus loves you, we do too, and you're on the heart of God. He cares that you're sleeping on the ground. He cares about you, and he wants to do something not only for your soul, but for every part of you. He cares for the whole person, every part of your heart and my heart he cares about, and the depths of his heart is for that, is that concern for every person on his globe. And he wants to get us so we are involved. And that day revival came to that prison. And, the, and he came to the, and when they came to preach the gospel, they came to teach the word. I mean, they had a full house and everyone listened from the ward and on down to the least prisoner. Because they did it God's way. They got God's mind. They got God's heart. They didn't understand it. Are you willing to enter into a love adventure with God by the power of the Holy Spirit and watch him work and accomplish his purposes so that there is no other explanation for what happens in and through your life but the eternal God. God is looking for world changers. Run up and down through the streets of Wilmore, Kentucky, Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas. Run up and down the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, Cody, Wyoming, Run up and down the streets of Chicago, Illinois. Run up and down the streets of America. Search through her squares and see if you can find one woman who seeks truth and does right. And I can forgive a whole city. Are you willing and available? So when the son says to the father, the father says to the son, we need a world changer in Chicago, Jesus will say, I know just the woman. And in your morning quiet time, he will begin to tap on your heart, this one or that one or another one. Or he'll begin to lay on your heart and say, you need to pray for Sudan today. Or you need to pray for North Korea. As you sick fix supper tonight, pray for the gal down the street. You need to carry that missionary from church. She's depressed. You need to send a, a gift. You need to write a check. You need to begin to live in the spirit. And ladies, I want to tell you, he is absolutely right. The happiest people I know are the ones who have said yes to Jesus and are 100% his 
squeaky clean. Jesus, would you do that today? Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, give us hard eyes to see. Like Carolyn said, hard eyes to see so we can see with your eyes. And then as we go forth in our glory shoes, filled with your glory, that Lord Jesus, we will be carriers of the presence of the Shekinah glory of God. And our, we will be different. Our marriages will be different. Our homes will be different. And that every part of our lives will be different because Jesus has come even in us to that part of you.